And welcome to Scots Radio and this programme that celebrates not only the Scots language, but the lore, the land and other wee bitties in between. I'm Frida Morrison and it gives me great pleasure to invite you into our virtual studios again to join the company and get a chance to listen to the confabs and some of the nation's best musicians. Now let me introduce you to a programme manager for us keeping us recht with the technology, Feather Broch, Andrew Davison. Aye, aye, Frida. Fit like. Oh, fine, man, fine. And uh, you're keeping well? Oh, absolutely, aye. Uh, glad the rain stopped. It's still a bit overcast, a bit of up it, in Aberdeen. It is a bit of drink here as well. Okay, let me introduce you to our companions. They are musicians, singers, Steve Byrne and Kathy McInnes. Hello there. Hello. Aye, aye, Frida. And Will Kent Cookery writer, Catherine Brown. Say hello, Catherine. Are you there? Hello. Oh, you're, you're sitting in Arden. It's, it's amazing. It's the first time we've beamed into Aaron. And the Heat Gardener himself, a past curator at Edinburgh Botanics and chair of the Open Garden Scheme, David Mitchell. Hello there, Frida. And you're sitting in just outside Edinburgh, so we're all joined up somehow. Now, we haven't been out a longer, our theme this episode is food and food heritage. Did we make enough of the precious gift we've got? And Catherine will be telling us about the legacy of food writer F. Marion McNeil, and we delve into our famous recipe book, The Scots Kitchen, its traditions and recipes. We'll hear more after this track, The Saltfish 40. This is for their album, Beer. This is Boss. <laughs> Thank you. 
with Saltfish 40 for their album Beer and Music for Orkney, which fits into our mood and motive of the moment, speaking about the renowned writer and journalist F. Marion McNeil in her book The Scots Kitchen. Now, Floss, as she was known, grew up in Orkney, but mere in a minute about that, and I've asked my guests for, for our comfy different backgrounds and airs to think of food, and that didn't attack a lot of persuasion for some, no mentioning any names, but also think of our food heritage. And we, we often speak about our music heritage, our linguistic heritage, our writing heritage, castles, trees, environment, but we do not often speak about our food heritage. That we can is important, but is often neglected. So I've gathered Kathy, Steve, Catherine and Dave on this episode to do just that and get a sense of what we've got to celebrate in this country and in the season of the hearse as well, celebrate that we have. First, let me bring to Ian, our best and my celebrated Gaelic singers, Kathleen McInnes. Kathleen, again, fits your, your own memories of food growing, growing up as you did in South US. Oh, I've got uh, lots and lots of lovely memories. I was very fortunate uh, we were brought up. Um, there were six of us in the family brought up on a croft on the west side of South Uist and uh, just had everything ourselves, really very self-sufficient and um, with sheep and no chickens, right enough, but we had uh, our own potatoes that we grew on the macher and uh, we were very fortunate to have our own, you know, everybody it was a communal peat cutting system and of course with all the, the fish and the seafood and okay, we had this beautiful Rayburn that my mother would make these amazing Hebridean pancakes and scones all fueled by peat. So the smells. I can fantastic. smell it already. The peat, the peat Rayburn, that takes me back. Yeah. I remember my aunties cooking in the peat Rayburn as well. You mentioned sheep there, uh, Catherine. Um, I, I suppose that uh, you, you were witness, as many people were, to the slaughtering of the sheep as well. Did, did, did you, were you privy to that? Yes, and it does sound a bit odd in the, the days we have at the moment, but it was quite normal. Like my uncle would come to do the slaughtering of a sheep and we would all be in and out of the garage just kind of watching. We all knew what was happening and which bit that he would do first and every bit of it was used uh, from making maracu, which is the black pudding. My mum used to make them. They were absolutely amazing. And white pudding to the liver and the meat. You'd make that lovely badata rouge to sue, which was basically a flank with, um, it was basically stock and new macher potatoes in the stock. And it was just oh. really healthy, really simple. And all of the food she made was very simple food. She wasn't really one for making fancy food. And I remember uh -huh. when pizza arrived on the island in the 1980s, and nobody knew what to do with pizza, so she served it with potatoes. Maybe some, <laughs> some folk would prefer being served pizza with potatoes. What's wrong with that? Everything was served with potatoes. You know, so. uh -huh. But uh, And at this time of year, we had that lovely uh, St. Michael, um, through one it's called. You would have it on the 29th, like at the end of September, St. Michaelmas cake and it was a kind of a bannock, uh -huh. St. Michael's bannock and it was baked for the feast day of St. Michael. Uh, it was a holiday of obligation and it was um, a, a, a lovely bannock and then you would put a, a kind of triple layer on it so it's like a, you would bake the bannock in the, in the Rayburn, take it out, it's like a big scone and then put kind of pancake mixture on the top back in the oven for seven minutes, take it back out, 
flip it over, put the mixture on the other side, seven minutes again, and then when you sliced through it, you had the triple layer scone type of thing, and it was absolutely wow. done. I'm going to try and make one this year because I'm going to be at home uh, at the end of September. I'm usually away, quite busy usually in September, but of course with the virus, I'm at home more, so I'm going to try and make my own through one you this see, year. That, that's a good point because I've actually attempted one or two things in the oven myself just to try and see if I can up my, my standards in cooking and baking. I have to say that I haven't succeeded that well. Mine's a bit of a disaster still. But um, uh, just just so that uh, folk know that they're still there, I know that uh, David Mitchell and Steve Byrne would be half half on you natural to keep them silent when you're speaking, <laughs> Kathleen. So can I invite them to, to in, enter into the conversation a bit Absolutely. sitting there desperate to come in? <laughs> David, Steve... Memories as well. I think Kathleen is resonating with you in some of your own your own home memories, and and Catherine, of course. David first. Well, I, when you asked me about this, Frida, I went away doing staring a hooking about in a press, and I found my mother's old cookery book, and the bare things barred, <laughs> but it was just full of memories. I, I, I mind our black bun and our shortbread. And our mince pies, and then oh, a fun recipe for the tea loaf that belonged to my her aunt, my great aunt. Yeah. And I was just sitting there, and it all came back: the tastes, the flavour, the smell. Yeah. And a minor that shortbread, folk would come for miles to taste it, and she'd never give them the recipe. But before she passed, she gave me the book, and she says, "You have to look after yeah. that." And then I've still I got thinking, my mum's cookery, cookery books as well. They're and, valued, you know, they're battered and worn, oh, but they're still they are. there. And, and, and I come to mind of my father, Stovies. I muck Stovies regular. I can't get them the same as he did. No. They're, my no. father, Stovies, he still makes grand Stovies. And Stovies, they're right better on the second day. And if you huh? hear them with beetroot and, and a glass of cold milk, oh, man, those fair, fair. For only loon. You know, and then I, I look at that cookery book again, and I was, was going through Marion's cookery book, and I found this recipe, Mrs. McLeod's salmon steaks, and salmon done in cream and sherry and canine pepper with a dancha ashevy essence. And I'm just looking at it, and I'm salivating. And, and <laughs> it, it, it reminded me of a recipe I tell you about. I tell you about done recipe with salmon cooked in red wine and oranges, and I made it in the desert and in the Sonoran Desert for for folk over there, and it just food so integral to our life, and it's it's just listening to Kathleen there now about what you see and experience as a bairn lasts and is so valuable, and right. I would hate that we we lose that, and I, if am I looking for? good things about the situation we're in the new. And I think if there's anything good comes out of this awful pandemic, maybe it's the fact that we're functioning more as families. We're functioning more around the kitchen table. We're cooking more at home. Mm -hmm. We're reconnecting with food and where our food and what we eat and where it comes from. Um, I've spoke to a wee young folk and they're all saying to me, oh, I've put on weight, I've been cooking more, I've been doing this and doing that. And maybe that's something positive that okay. comes out of I'll, that. I'll, 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 take, I'll take Kathleen back in again here because I think you've touched on that. A lot of very, very uh, memorable points there and familiar points. But I'm going to go back, go back to Kathleen just before we hear her singing about some of our, our um, festival 
traditions, uh, should I say. Now, there was a tradition we spoke about, or you told me about, for the ladies gathering before a wedding. Tell us about that, Kathy. Yeah, um, because they would do the which was the plucking of the chickens um, in preparation for the wedding feast. And then I, we were wondering if that's where the hen party was invented. <laughs> <laughs> but other traditions, like at, at New Year, uh, they would have Nagilan Holig, who would come round um, just before, you know, the, just at the very end of the year, and they would collect um, food from each house. And, you know, food played such a big part in our lives, but it was just all kind of, it was just all so normal, you know, just... I was talking about the uh, the peat cutting was a big, huge event. And then um, when my mother was hosting the dinner after the big day of the peat cutting, the table would be put in the living room, which was a big deal, and set beautifully, tablecloths, and all the workers would come in and have a, the big meal. Mm-hmm. And then when they left, we got to eat in the living room at the table. And then the fun was, you know, like... If you were whoever seat you were in would be like the local character in the village, or like you know, we, there was lots of uh, fun to tell you know, like you're you're this person and you're that person. And <laughs> it was it's funny. Fun. You, it's funny you say that because uh, you've just triggered the memory of my first um, thrashing mill um, just after the harvest was taken in the thrashing mill and the the feast after everything was was th- the mill had gone and the millers come in and uh, all the workers the farm workers would come in a long table of just yeah. grown in with food yeah. and and then when the food was was uh, enjoyed and then a couple of drinks were maybe uh, taken and the songs would start oh, yeah. but it was all part of that you know and the dogs would be running about as well in the big kitchen as well but the feeling of just celebration was, was all to do with food exciting. and it joined us all together <laughs> but listen I want folk to hear you singing Catherine you know and uh, this is this is uh, as I said a, 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 a historic moment because you were our first Gallic guest on Scots Radio I'm and welcome to be I hope this is not going to be the last thing you're on please join <laughs> us again and uh, I'm not going to try the, the Gaelic pronunciation of this scene, but it's in English. I awoke early one May morning, and it's you singing at the Celtic Colours Festival in Nova Scotia in 2015. Is that the title in Gaelic, Kathleen? Yerich me moch matin hege. Okay, here's Kathleen. Yerich me moch matin hege, and fallelo hello, Tura vos na horo ela fallelo hello, 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 hello,
Alex singer Kathleen McInnes, and we'll hear more from Kathleen later. Is Abdi fine? It's weird hearing Abdi in the rain nukes, but that's what it is. Is Abdi there? Steve, you there? Kanawa, Frida. You're, you're hanging in there. And Hi. Catherine, are you okay in Aaron? Yes. Okay, we'll hear from you in a minute. And you're listening to Scots Radio. This is Frida Morrison. And the wheel host this is, in this episode is Andrew Davison. And we're joined by a heezer folk in their own virtual nukes, David Mitchell, Cathy McInnes, Catherine Brown and Steve Byrne. And we're speaking about the heritage of Scottish food, just as we're in the weirs of the Hearst. And let me beam in on the island of Arran to connect with food writer and broadcaster Catherine Brown. Catherine, we mentioned earlier the book called The Scots Kitchen, its traditions and recipes by F. Marion McNeil, 1885-1973. In her 88 years, she made an enormous contribution to our Scottish heritage. Now, you wrote the introduction to the 2010 edition. Tell us, tell us more about F. Marion McNeil. I was very lucky to have the opportunity to research her life at that particular point because nobody had done that and they had just reproduced the Scots Kitchen. Um, I don't know how many editions it was in, but nobody had really investigated what her life was about and why she became so such a, a cohesive force in, in folk culture and heritage. And it all began in Orkney in her childhood. She was the daughter of the man, so there was 12 children. There were six daughters and, and six sons. Her father was very keen on education and the children were all educated and sent to different parts of the world. It was in a lifetime of collecting. She collected much more than recipes. She collected our food culture. She saved our food culture in the Scots kitchen and there were, when it was first published, she had letters from, well, just take you, for example, Hugh McDermott. 
he sent her a lovely letter. I I, I went into the uh, into the National Archives in, in Edinburgh and I found the letters in her archive from Hugh McDermott and he, he described it as a masterpiece, mm-hmm. the Scots Kitchen. And and it was uh, it, the letter was very interesting. Also, Lewis Spence said it was a revolt against standardisation. I'm going to turn to Orkney again, Catherine, for another tune, the Saltfish 40. You'll like this one. This is a lovely, lovely melody, and it just gives you a feeling of the place. It's a bonny melody called Ellen's.
beautiful wee melody, Faye. They often need you a saltfish 40. And that's Faye, their, their album, Beer, as in beer meal, I think. New, far was we. Far are we. When you're listening to Scots Radio, this is Frida Morrison. With me is Catherine Brown, David Mitchell, Kathy McInnes, and Steve Byrne. And in the steering room, no, is Andrew Davidson. Are we still okay? Are we still all, all together? Just about hanging on there. Hanging <laughs> in, hanging in. Now, Andrew, fix your memories of food and dishes growing up in the Baroque. Um, well, I suppose a lot of mine would be the same as a lot of other folk fae uh, around about the northeast coast. It's it, maybe a bit similar to you, Frida. There's a lot of fish, obviously. Like, Aye. I grew up just right in a coastline in the uh, Braid Sea in a broch. But I'll admit this, and this is something I didn't like to admit very often because I get the right. same reaction for folk, is I'm a broch loon and there's a lot of fish I just want to eat. So there you that's go. It. But that's it. That's it. One of my vivid memories for the broch, and I find it, I think maybe a, a bit disturbing, is my dad eating rannies. Do you get in rannies? Aye. Cod roe. Co- co- cod roe. Aye. I used to, I always come home with them. I, th- I'm, I, I might be marking this up, but he seemed to come home for the pub with like rannies wrapped up in a, a bit of newspaper. It was like, that's right. maybe it was a bit of illicit business going on in the broch. <laughs> He used to eat them in the uh, the kitchen, and honestly, just the sight of them and the smell of them, I, I couldn't have thought it at all. So that kind of put me off it's, a little I bit. Know, they're a delicacy in many countries, yes, but you kind of, I'm like it. The look of them puts me off. It's, it's, oh, it's I'm, co- the, I'm, co- the co- with, uh, I'm the same with Winkles. I used to pick oh. Winkles, but I just would not eat them. No and Abdi used to go doing on the shore, doing beside the bow fiddle, and cook the Winkles in the pans there. And just the sight of them and the smell of them. I, oh, I, 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 I couldn't. I couldn't eat them at all. No, no, no. Right. Um, just to Steve, I gave new Steve. We were speaking with Catherine about uh, Marion McNeil and her book, Scott's Kitchen. What is it about this book that makes it so special? Do you think? Well, Marion McNeil, Floss McNeil's an interesting character altogether. I suppose that she'd be somebody that wouldn't be on the tip of my tongue in terms of. Uh, being a folklorist that you would kind of immediately think of when you come to think of Scottish folklore. But actually, the experience of looking at the book kind of opened my eyes a wee bit uh, as to the, the the importance that she has in the way that she sets things uh, into localities. She puts in songs and poems. Uh, she references all kinds of folk, like Marjorie Kennedy Fraser, uh, Alexander Carmichael and Carmina Gadelica, Gaelic Proverbs, Robert Ferguson, Walter Scott. There's a whole wheen of things. And you get this sense, you can, that she was a generation that she kind of reminds me almost of Helen Cruikshank. They were the same kind of age and same born and, and died around the same time. Had this kind of classical view of Scottish culture that tied in with the Renaissance and all that kind of thing. She was big pals with Willa Muir. Um, this hail thing that I just thought, jings, it's, it's somebody I should take a mirror a look at. Because uh, the book is, is absolutely stop at Fuwe. Ah, kinds of things uh, that that I suppose, as as, as Catherine says, they hadn't been mm-hmm. put together any place else. I mean, it's, it's an important book. Fit your own food memories. Well, I'm sitting here kind of going, oh, jings, I grew up, <laughs> I was a vegetarian for about the age of five. <laughs> so it was a bit, a bit strange growing <laughs> up. Uh, I suppose in Scotland of our places, although it's it's a it's a hundred times easier nowadays. But growing up in Arbroath, my granny and grandpa uh, bade doon at the foot of the tune. They uh, were just round the corner for the harbour, so the whole time I was pretty much used to the the smell of the fish. And just along the road, there was the smokies made. Just in the and the funny thing is, you imagine smokies a big industry, but it was just a wee thing. Even in a bigger tune like Arbroath, it was just folk did it kind of 
mostly in their back green, not their back greens, but their back yards or their houses you can. You would gang into the sort of through the pendy and there would be a wee bitty a kind of outhouse kind of thing and the lad would be in there, uh, the local mm. lad called, called Joe and what a Joe's for fish, my granny would say and going in and see the, <laughs> the the barrels with the hessian and the whole thing so I can't have about that for a, for a young age and it's still even, I can't get past a fish shop without, even though I didn't eat fish without standing there for a minute or two and just tacking in the reek and thinking aye, that reminds me of being a, a bairn but I suppose my family foods would be things like kale soup and I didn't ken for years what this word kill mean. I thought it meant kill. And uh, as a laddie, I was like, what's this kill soup? But didn't ken. My granny says it's fine for me. I love it. Uh, so that was mostly a, a vegetable soup that she would <laughs> make. And then I had my own vegetarian version of stovies, which was mostly the gravy, salt and the tatties and then a wee bit of and through it. And then I suppose the other memory mm-hmm. I had around the corner from my granny and grandpa's was, was the fish and chip. Place. There was a place in our broth called Peppos that's still on the go now. It's been, around chips, for, of course, it's been around 50 years and it's right on the coast. Now, I've, I've asked you to look into some of our food traditions. What have you come up with? Well, I suppose it's, it's there's not that many things in the Scots kind of traditional larder, I suppose, in terms of the, the, the customs and things associated with it that isn't at a day with Christmas and of course with Christmas we're, we're speaking about the clouty dumplings and, and the black buns and the, the kind of Christmas cake it's certainly the things in my family, that would be the, the main memories I mind and the only other things that I really mind would be uh, the summer time when we'd be a waff of the berries either at the firms or the wild rasps and we would be making jam upon jam upon jam because as Folk in Toons Hour, Scotland, would probably recognise we had a thing called the Flower Show. And the Flower Show was I in August in the community centre in our broth, and my family would be making all sorts of kind of foodstuffs to exhibit at that. But the main thing there was, was jam. It was a bit like a kind of country fair or a you know, WRI kind of competition, that sort of thing. So they would be the things I would, uh, Aye, I would associate it, with. It was that. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it, it should be mentioned that you are a, a practised jam maker yourself. And uh, the famous uh, Christmas competition, far we had the uh, Scots Radio, far we we had the competition to to judge the best apple jelly. Should we mention that competition because it's it's still a bit sore for you? I think. <laughs> well, Steve won the competition, but there was a judge's inquiry because there was fust found on top of the apple jelly and. He didn't get the prize. He didn't nah, get the prize. The prize there's was other, there's other years. There's other years. There's other years. We'll go again. But you're growing Oslin apples, which is the traditional Aberdeen apple. Uh, do you turn that into anything apart from just eating the apple? Well, it's a funny apple altogether. Uh, the the Arbroath Pippin, it's cried and ah, um, it's an early ripener, so it's it's ripe about now, end of August. Uh, you know, the first things that that comes uh, in the calendar for apples. Mm-hmm. The trouble is. It's a heritage apple, and it, it shows you any you know, of the problems with a lot of these heritage varieties. And and, and Dave will, will will confirm this is that they're not that kind of hardy. Some of them, and they they didn't necessarily fruit an awful lot. There's certainly no to the the amount that you would want to be putting in this kind of commercial, you can into, into that sort of usage. So it's a wee crop that that we hate, and it doesn't keep all that well. A lot of the airlines didn't keep our well, so we tend to just mark it into uh, kind of what, what folk might cry, not quite jilly, but uh, my wife is German, so we mark a thing uh, that we call Apfelmus or, or Applemus, depending on where you oh. come in, in, in Germany. 
and that's uh, just kind of apple sauce, really. I think right. folk, folk in North America would kind that. Did you did you need to tell me about you you you're mixing it with tatties or grated tatties at one point? Aye, there's a thing that you uh, another German thing called Reibekuchen, and that's just uh, grated tatties uh, put together with a bit of egg and ingen, and you just fry it into a wee kind of flat rune mm-hmm. bitty, and then put it together with the 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 mousse. And uh, it's a good thing to use uh, kind of unripe apples for. We've had a lot with the weather the last wee while. We've had a lot come off the tree, so uh, you didn't want to. I mean, you can't eat them, really, they're, they're not ripe. By the time you try and ripen them in the house, they start getting a bit of soft, so you're best just tacking them in and putting them into something like applesauce or, or a, a sort of pie or something else that you, um, you, would, you would bake it so you get the use of them that way. Um, sorry, Dave, were you going to come in there? Steve? I was just going to say, all this is bringing back an awful lot of memories and... I must have been off a lucky because my mother used to put a sixpence in the in the dumpling at Christmas, and there was a two or three in it. My grandfather he seemed to have a nose for where they were. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he seemed to manage to get them. I know, but and I, I mean, I didn't care anybody if he might have getting a toffee apple, and yeah. she, my mother used to hang it on the pulley in the kitchen at Halloween. And you used Aye. to put a blindfold on and you did try and bite it when it was all sticky. And you got your <laughs> face all covered in it, try and get a bite out of it. And then you only you duke for apples when you were young. You used to have an old galvanized bath and you used to put that in the kitchen full of water and fill it with apples. It's all that it's this thing about food, life, music, happiness. And uh, that's what I loved about Marion McNeil's book. It's near about herself. Aye. It's about other folks' doings. Aye, that's right. And she, she, just it was just it's it's such a valuable thing, and she it is. I get the feeling she was an awful modest kind of body, though. She would never wanted a big fuss about she, it. No, hugely talented. You know, she was an organizer of the suffragette movement. She was a social worker in London, and and she organized uh, a peacemakers' pilgrimage through Wales to London. And then she became a freelance journalist in Edinburgh. Catherine, you're coming in there. You'll, you'll agree. She was a, an amazing character. She certainly was. She, um, she was very, very well thought of in, in the intellectual, cultural world mm-hmm. of Scotland. Very involved in the Scottish National Party. Mm-hmm. And um, I think she was a vice president at one point. So she was in that group. In that, in that group in Edmund, it's very, very, very influential. But not na- only is Steve good at growing Oslin apples, but he's a good musician. And he was voted Scots Singer of the Year, the Trad Awards, last year. I would like you to hear Steve and Fiona Hunter singing. This is for their, their, their band Malinke's 20th anniversary album, Cad Hansel. And this is Cad Pad the Road with Me. Says I, my dearest Molly. Come, let us fix the time When ye and I will married be And wed luck us combine When ye and I get married Love right happy we will be For ye are the bonny lassie Let's depart the road we meet Depart the road we use A cold one thou's coming on Besides my aged parents Had not a girl but one Besides my aged parents Had not a girl the bonny lassie that's the path the road with me. 
Ah, never mind, call winter love, the spring will follow on. Come sit ye down beside me and I'll sing you a nice song. I'll sing you a nice song while I diddle ye on my knee. But you're the bonnie lassie that's the by the road with me. All the other lads that by the happy proved of cruel mind, they beat me on badges, me and proved to be unkind. They beat me on badges, me and guard me through the day. The better get my love to them to by the road away. Father's life, I swear I'll day me hell. I'll busky brow and fairer so you could bear the grief as the bellow of the country round and the road we So she has done that hose and shoe to the cart they came. And lang, lang, and morning that couple went raving. And lang, lang, and the morning her troubles were set free. For she's the bonnie lassie that's the by the road we She's the bonnie lassie that's the by the road we She's the bonnie lassie that's the by the road we My guest Steve Byrne with Fiona Hunter and the song Pad the Road with Me for Malinke's 20th anniversary album called Hansel. Beautiful, beautiful double album that. Well, my final guest is real accustomed to padding roads up in Dune Gardens, Our the Warrell, or Heat Gardener, on our sister programme Grow Radio, and a past curator at the Edinburgh Botanics, chair of the Open Garden Scheme, and as I said, he's wheel padded, and as I can, I love a things, fine food. But it's with the Gerner and the Gerden that I first speak. Dave, you've been a Gerner all your life, studied Gerdens over the world, as I said. On the practical side, fit skills have we lost in your tenure? Oh, Frida, that's an awful big question. You can, we could talk about that for a long time. You cannot, I'm not being cheeky, but I think the biggest thing is for young folk to pay heed to what they're dealt. Kenny, the old ways often you try and tell them, but. I was the same at 16, 17, 18. You thought you can't better. And but if you learn to listen, you get that much out of it. And, you know, when you asked me this question, I went way back to a book written by a man called John Reed. He come from East Lothian. It was called The Scots Gardener, and it was published in 1683. That's a long time ago. And he describes laying out avenues and kitchen gardens and pleasure gardens. There's even a calendar in the back of that book. And this would interest Catherine because it talks about dishes and drinks in season. And his job is to grow plants to feed the kitchen, to feed the family. It's that journey through the three. And I think we, we're all that busy nowadays that we try to 
work against the seasons instead of working with them. We we need to be, we're not even that bothered about being practical in what we do. Sometimes we just want to do it the quickest road without thinking about it. And, and that, that doesn't really work. So I think just taking time to look and listen. But when I was going through that book of reads, I come across a, a notion that he had that he tried and I thought, I've never thought of that. And that, that, that might just work. It was different. And we also are peas and onions and carrots and radishes and all that. We sow them in rows. And he took a square metre of granite, two or three square metres in little blocks, and he mixed up radishes and carrots and he sewed them together. And then he experimented and oh, he added lettuce and parsley and salad onions and even parsnips. So he had like a kind of tapestry of vegetables. And then he just picked them when they were really young and sweet. So he would pick the radishes first, then he would pick the spring onions. He'd leave the lettuce to get bigger. He might pick some wee baby lettuce when they were wee. I just thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I need to think about that. And then I come a mind a fellow, Walter Nickel. He wrote a book, The Scotch Forcing Gardener. What a wonderful thing it is. And he, he talks about how fussy shallots are. And then he, he talks about manure. Oh, he goes on and on and on about manure, whether it's <laughs> stable manure or cow manure or sheep manure, even pigeon muck. And he goes on about wood ash and vegetable mould and all their benefits. And I thought, here's a man that understands the land and understands the need to feed the grun. You know, and, and that come me a mind another quote. The gardener's year is a circle, as is his labour. It's never at an end. It's that relationship between the man and the garden and the garden and the kitchen and the kitchen and the house and the house but, and the but family. In, in your time, in your time, David, did you have to go up to the big house to, to speak to the Oh, cook? I had to go on. When I was a young apprentice, every third week, you'd to go into the big house in the morning and see the cook. And you'd to tell her what was ready in the garden, whatever there was, lettuce, beetroot, carrots, tatties, kale, Brussels sprouts, or, you know. So you went up and you said to cook, this is what's available, and she'd say, yes, that's what I want, bring me that. And I used to hate when she said I want raspberries and blackcurrants, because you'd dig in all the way to Shancastle, which was three quarters of a mile walk to the fruit cage to get them. And you can't, that was going to muck your day up. You wouldn't get other jobs done. Anyway, you'd go in and get everything. You'd pick it up. You'd take it up to the house. You'd take your bits off when you went in. And then not only did you have to leave the vegetables in the house, you'd to go and ruin the house and fill up the log baskets in the drawing room and in the study and in the dining room. But, you know, um, we've got kind of Scotland, I suppose, sometimes gets a bad reputation or used to get a bad reputation for the food. But uh, I think it was you who was telling me, no, no, we go, we go back a long, long way uh, in history of good food. You know, I'm sure we had a conversation about the Stuart Kings. Was that uh, it was James II, James oh, IV? Well, the royal court, aye. I mean, if you're going to way back... In history, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that James the Fourth and the royal household, again at Linlithgow Palace, you get, that, that, that was a queer place. That, that, that was the home of Margaret Drummond, the mistress of James the Fourth, and, and and the abbot Alindor Sabi, he, he he was telling to supply apples and pears and ingans and mustard and cherries and strawberries. He'd even to supply honeycomb. Um, and they grew in those days, they grew things like cabbages and leeks and herbs and lavender, even grapes. 
Man, they even had peacocks strutting about the grun before they ended up on the table. Uh, but that, that culinary history came from Europe, a lot of it, and was influenced with what was here. I think one of the things that's damaged Scotland's reputation for food was the early English travellers who mm -hmm. come in. They wrote a lot of scurrilous stuff because they didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. what was Boswell and Johnson, like... Well, that was, that, was, that was to do with the fact that we didn't have published cookery books ah. in, in the... Bef before Marion McNeil, well, it was Meg Dodds, of course. Uh, Meg's book, right. Meg, Meg Dodds, but the thing was, the, the Scots housewife, if she wanted a cookery book, she had to have a, an English published cookery book. There wasn't actually a Scottish book ah. until until Meg Dodds. And then, mm. so that, that our culture, our food culture was not documented historically. Yeah. You know, they're particularly Before we go, uh, David, uh, I'm just going to ask folks' experiences of, um, I suppose, favourite dishes we've gone through. What's your favourite dish, Dave? Oh, Frida, that's no fair. You can, especially when, especially when I was reading Marion's book, and I'm thinking about Osgood Mackenzie's feather tucking into venison scallops and and smoked salmon for his breakfast. I'd put an idea into my head, and then again, the Maester of Ravenswood, he was here in flan for cherries, and I thought, oh man, I thought, man, I thought, you can, it's just got to be. I thought, what do I order when I go into a restaurant every time if it's on the menu? It's like yeah. Colin Skink. And if you I'd, were back to college again, I've had to pick you another thing. I think it's, you can, it would just be rhubarb. Rhubarb tart with a short crust pastry and good homemade custard. Huh? There's an awful list of things, but rhubarb tart and custard, it's seasonal, it's homely, it smells great. It's nae that bad for you. My doctor's no listening, so it'll no matter. And, <laughs> you know, it's just tastes grand. But it ain't that funny. It's a thing you had as a bairn. Yeah. A lot of folk, you say to them. Back to that get, again. You know, you say, what's your favourite food? And a lot of folk, if you really push them on it, they'll say, dotties, peas and mince. It's comfort, it's comfort food. Yeah. When, when we're feeling down or we're no very happy about life or we're no feeling very well, we turn to food. We turn to food. Listen, I'm going to go to Kathleen again. Kathleen, are you still there? You're still still with us? Yes, the, yes, yes. No, I'm, yeah. I'm loving this. It's very interesting. <laughs> I'm beginning to get really hungry. What's your favourite dish? Well, it was funny talking about rhubarb because um, basically anything my mum used to make would be my dream food at the moment. But uh, rhubarb crumble, she made rhubarb jam as well. And, of course, my granny would make the um, karaking pudding which uh, you would pick, you know, we had that, we lived right beside the sea, so she would, you know, sort of uh, simmer it up so that it was like a jelly kind of custard, kind of a pudding. Mm -hmm. So that kind of thing would be absolutely would be delicious. high on my list of favourite things. Well, yeah, um, for me, I think I would go for the, I'm going back to Cullen's Kink again because I really love Cullen's I love soups or any kind, chunky, chunky soups. But fish dish, I would go for the uh, smoked haddock and uh, an organic egg, just broken on top of that, just a, a fried egg on top of the, the um, or a poached egg. Did he try the own recipe I sent you? Well, I I was going to. I was go You sent me the one with that he did in the desert for the folk. 
right. with the salmon, the salmon and the wine and the oranges. And I couldn't uh, Robert, get the oranges. Robert May's salmon. Uh, that, that, but, that, that, that was a recipe that came France via England, which uh, ties in with what Catherine was saying. It's, a, it's an all well recipe. But what I did do was one of my favourite ones, the Dean salmon, is just covering it with some honey when it's cooking. And oh boy, salmon and honey on top of it. Catherine, have you come across this one? And with rice and some vegetables after it's cooked. It's just beautiful. Have you ever tried salmon and honey? No, I haven't come across that. That's one of my mum's ones, and she loves that one. Oh, it's a, grand, it's a grand one. It's so easy, and it just makes all the difference. I need to ask Catherine when I've got the opportunity. In, in Marion's book, there's that recipe for Mrs. McLeod's salmon steaks. Have you ever tried that, Ian? It's, it, it's salmon and cream and sherry and cayenne pepper. With no, it. I haven't, no. I, I no. was often tempted with that. Well, you, you wouldn't really want to spoil the... If it was a really good bit of salmon, fresh, no. wild salmon, you wouldn't want to put all that stuff on it, would you? No, you I think that would be too much. You can't get that now. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, I'm, I'm going, going, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to, go to go to Steve now. Steve, favourite dish before we go? Well, I suppose mine would tie in with what Dave's saying about the kind of the seasons and, and uh, the land and the relationship between communities and uh, far you come from and all that sort of thing. I've really gotten into the last few years uh, Lunan Bay asparagus because uh, there's an half a short season, but Lunan Bay is just north of Arbroath, between Arbroath and Montrose, where I used to gang as a bairn, and they hay uh, an asparagus and goat ferrum. Right about now they're, they're doing the goat meat, then come sort of March, April time, they're, they're into the asparagus, and I just think that that's part of the whole thought and discussion about ideas, the local food revolution and the Fife diet, ah, that sort of thing. Do you ken that in 20, 2011, the Scottish Agricultural College did a survey, and they asked folk... Uh, uh, about local food and 63% of folk wanted mere local food uh, available to them and I just thought that's an interesting way to start thinking you can get in for these historical books and whatnot but thinking about what we can do now and are the changes are the varieties and everything that's out there now there's that much that's changed in terms of vegetables and fruit especially in the 20th century in Scotland that have been brought on um, can the James Hutton Institute and all that, and mm-hmm. Scotland's a huge, a huge role to play in, in that whole thing to do with fruit. A massive and, role. We've got something that's valuable, right in our palm of our hands. I'm going to go to Andrew now. Andrew, what's your favourite dish? Well, although I said earlier I'm favourite broccoli, I didn't like fish. My favourite thing is a fish supper. Just a battered haddock or breaded haddock, and yeah, I just kind of get enough of it. I actually lived abroad for a while, and after about a year, that's all I could think of. Every time I went to a restaurant, I was just like, oh, I wish I could get a, a battered haddock. A fish Why? So, yeah, you kind of beat that. Fine. Well, as, as I used to do enough with me travelling around about Scotland, I can tell you the best places to get fish suppers are in Scotland. And either the best place is Stonehaven, the corner shop in Stonehaven. And uh, although, I'm, I, I, although I'm being, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, home voting here, I would say Portnocky Fish and Chip Shop and Colin. I have to say uh, that. It uh, is the best. We, we, we need a bit of democracy here. There's an offer Gideon and Helensborough. Oh, oh Helensborough. It's worth be. going there just for them. It's funny because I'm really fussy, fussy about my fish and chips because you get really 
awful fish. And it's been obviously kept in the freezer for ages and it's grey, it comes out grey and it just doesn't taste like fresh fish. When you're brought up in fresh fish, you can the difference, Catherine, didn't you? Yes, you certainly do. Yeah. Well, my favourite would be uh, hot off the barrel, Arboro Smoky. Oh, yes. Arbor, I, I, I'm very, very fond of that, as I said earlier, and with an egg on top of it. Just beautiful poached egg on top of that. And, and some new, and new tatties maybe along with it. That is just a, a superb dish. It's queer there, Frida, just listening to everybody. Colin Skink and custard and cream and fish and all that. And nobody said anything about lamb or mutton or beef. That's kind of, and, and I, I we'll love get mutton. Oh, we'll I get love mutton. <laughs> Kathleen like likes mutton. mutton. Kathleen, you were mentioning mutton as well as one of your favourite things. Although you? I don't. Well, that was in the 1970s, right enough. <laughs> that was growing up, but yeah. Yeah. I, I quite fancied the, uh, the the stock dish, which I haven't had in years and years. Uh-huh. But it's there, it's there. Listen, we're going to hate to, to uh, close the, the cookhouse door in a minty. Um, Dave Mitchell and Abney, delighted to be working with you and your companions on this episode of Scotch Radio. Remember... Uh, that Dave is back with us on our sister programme, Grow Radio, www.growradio.com. And uh, my thank you to Catherine Brown, Kathleen McInnes, Steve Byrne and Dave Mitchell for their company and good wisdom. The details about the book we feature, here it is. A Scots Kitchen, its traditions and recipes, by F. Marion McNeil, and it's published by Berlin, the edition we were speaking about was the 2010 edition, edited and introduced by Catherine Brown. And remember, you can join Dave, as I said, and myself again. We Andrew still looking after us, and we've got Richie Werner joining us again, of course. Uh, that's who we're in our sistership, Grow Radio, www.growradio.com. Andrew, what about getting some instructions as to f- how folk can record their, their garden questions as well? Can you tell them about it? What you can do is you can go on to, as you said, www.growradio.com and there's a button in there. If you push that button, it'll let you record a question. So you just push the button, you speak a wah, and it gets sent directly over to us and we'll answer it in the next programme. Great. And it's a garden programme like no other, apparently, according to renowned expert George T. Watt, Fair the Scots Lead Society. And he's right, it's a garden programme like no other. And Kathleen has been on it. You've asked questions, Kathleen, right, for helping you with your garden. And we'll be helping <laughs> you with your garden again this next episode. You're coming in and talk again. So um, now that you've found us, we're now letting you get our one. We finish with the singing of Kathleen McInnes, Gallant Song for the album Summer Dawn. Fitzgerald again, Tirich Bard Turneg. Say it in Gaelic again, oh, please. Tirich Bard Turneg. It sounds an awful lot better than you said it. Yeah. Okay, stay <laughs> myself, Andrew, and our companions. On behalf of Scotch Radio, stay well and join us again. Bye the new. For mine, God, I'm Udi. Sicharnak Vekhuri. I'm glad I win you Bart Hurnik Ekta Hagushke Hagushke Alepi Huguncha Hail Shantrum Tursor A Kundrangavarch Lord Lion John Lushe Hapachga Unsur Skilly Ha hey.
Hasis Hagushke Hagushke Alepi Hagunja Hail Shantraum Tursa Akum Drangava Hudeka Pulpuava And Halan Ahuade Kaklelka Kaswatka Lehuashlak Agra Hagushke Hagushke Alepi Hagunja Hail Shantraum Tursa Akum Drangava And Shedabe Shachilas And Hag Sangipan Baloya Aida The Mil Nambiam Ark Hagushke Hagushke Alepi Hagunja Hail Shantraum Tursa Akum Drangava Thank you. 